From Sector 001 in the Alpha Quadrant, this is the Omega Directive, Episode 18, Star Trek Toys with John Tenuto. Mego presents the Star Trek action figures featuring the crew of the Enterprise. Captain James T. Kirk, their fearless leader. Dr. Bones McCoy, caring for the health of the Enterprise crew. Scotty, chief engineer, in charge of the transporter room. Mr. Spock, the Vulcan first officer. Lieutenant Yahura, the communications officer. And new for 1976, the aliens, Klingon. Their evil threatens the universe. Gorn, half human, half beast. Charon, is he good or evil? Neptunian, dangerous in space and in his own watery habitat. And the Keeper, his incredible intellect threatens the Enterprise. The Star Trek Aliens. The Star Trek USS Enterprise gift set with command chair, console, three telescreen cards, and five Star Trek action figures. Place Mr. Spock or any Star Trek figure into the transporter room. Spin the control knob and press the button. Mr. Spock disappears. Pretend he's left the deck of the Enterprise for outer space adventure. You can capture the Klingon and bring him back to the Enterprise. Star Trek USS Enterprise gift set. Star Trek action figures also sold separately by Mego. Okay, hi everyone. Welcome back to the show. Um, I'm again your host, Steve Atwell, and joining me again this week is my co-host, Kevin, a.k.a. Dr. Dr. Guy K.S. Hello. And before we get into any interviews, we're going to chat a little bit about Q's Winter Wonderland in Star Trek Online, which is back again this year. Um, How's it going with you, Kevin? It's going well. They haven't added anything really substantially new this year. And uh, I'm going to briefly go over that with you guys right now as to what Q's Winter Wonderland is. So Q's Winter Wonderland is a uh, mini-game or collection of mini-games that take place in a special map that was set up by the developers of Star Trek Online. So you need to be a level 5 or above, which is basically completing the tutorial and maybe the first two missions that your character offers. So going back to Q's Winter Wonderland, uh, you need to be a level five or above, and you have to interact with Q at one of three or four different locations. Earth at Earth Space Dock, uh, Kronos in the Hall of Heroes, if I'm not mistaken, and on New Romulus in the main atrium. He's a little back. He's a little uh, to the back and outside on a, on a platform. Yeah, in Earth Space Talk, he is on a throne mm-hmm. uh, near yeah. the Exchange. Yeah, he is. He is on the. He is on his throne at all three locations. Uh, it's the throne that he used in the first and last episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Because I remember last year, he was mm-hmm. in um, at Kronos, just outside of the transporter room. Um, just kind of hanging out by himself without a throne or anything, just floating in the air. But I haven't been oh. back there this year yet. Yeah, uh, the first year they had it on console, They he was sitting in a throne, I think, in the Hall of Heroes. 
I don't usually play on my Klingon character. I'm just doing my Klingon character for the story plot at this point. Just FYI, if you guys are looking to buy anything from their uh, C-Store, the time to do it would be Black Friday or during their uh, after-holiday sale. If I'm not mistaken, they have one sale uh, after the holidays or right around uh, Christmas uh, where everything is 25% off. So um, that's the time to buy pretty much anything. But anyway, back to what we were discussing. Did you want to add to anything at this point? Well, I would just say that um, I need to... Uh, I'm I'm all confused with um, playing the uh, um, different games that you have, the challenges, and that I'm still confused trying to figure out how to convert, like, dilithium or whatever into Zen. Because I want to yeah. buy stuff at the store, but I don't have any actual cash to spend to buy Zen. And I'm not well, sure I, how to go about doing it all. Yeah, I can do that in a, in a future video. Unfortunately, the character that I use doesn't have a lot of Zen or a lot of dilithium. So she can't refine the Zen or, or buy the Zen right now. She She's, like I said, just she just turned level 5 during my last... Uh, Twitch stream, which is of the same uh, gamer tag, D-R-G-U-Y-K-S, all one word. And people can follow me on Twitch there. It's twitch.tv, and you search by my screen name or twitch.tv slash my screen, which is the D-R-G-U-Y-K-S, once again, and you should be able to find me. Now, normally I do these sessions Saturday nights from 8 to 10. However, this Saturday night I, I do have a personal commitment that I will be attending to instead, so it's been pushed back to Sunday. If you guys follow me on Twitter with the same gamer tag, once again, that's D-R-G-U-Y-K-S, you can find out when my Twitch streams are being pushed back or moved forward or what have you, as well as see all my other gaming exploits that I do. Yeah, um, right now, because it is the holiday season, finding time to do anything and stay on a regular schedule is kind of difficult. Right, exactly. And... Um, Maybe I'm being bold and trying to, you know, do interviews during this time of the year to have new material out. But I, I just had the whim to uh, acknowledge the holidays and celebrate them with the, the podcast, so we're doing it. Yep. So, yeah, um, definitely check out Keys 1 to Wonderland. Keep in mind, Star Trek Online is 100% free, whether you play on PC, Xbox One, or my personal favorite, PlayStation 4. And you can find me with that same gamer tag once again uh, on the PlayStation Network. And I like to give free items away to new players. If you stick with me longer and we're friends, I might even give you a special item or two. You never know. That would be sweet. Yeah. But anyway, I you know, it's not so much as in I'm trying to bribe you. It's just like, hey, I like you and I think you're a good person. So here, have something. Because I'm one of those people who likes to share my wealth whenever I can. Hopefully at some point in the new year I'll be able to afford to upgrade to a PS4. Yeah. Well, PC has a lot of content, actually. They've got uh, characters that you can unlock through special passcodes. I even sent you a special passcode for the original series Enterprise that you can use on your main character or any of your characters, actually. Yeah, I couldn't get it to work right. Well, that's weird. You did type in the code, and you did hit submit and redeemed it, though, correct? Uh, yes, and nothing happened, so I don't know. I might have, we, we might have to submit a ticket for that. Um, 
or hopefully they'll do another live stream and we can ask about that. I might be able to contact the person who sent it to me and see what they recommend because I just took a screenshot and submitted it to them. And maybe you typed it in at the wrong place. That's another possibility. Or maybe, um, maybe if all I'm getting is the uh, Enterprise in the original series, maybe I've already got it. That's a possibility. Uh, if you bought it, yes. If um, if you got it when you bought the game back when it was a buyable game and you typed in the code then, then you would have already unlocked it and you can't unlock it again. So we would have to pass it on to maybe even one of our listeners. Maybe they would like to get the code. That's a possibility if it's still usable. We make no guarantees at this point. And uh, I've already entered my code, and I think I've redeemed it in the event that the PS5 doesn't support the, the, the codes, or not the codes, but the game itself. There might be a possibility that when the PS5 comes out, Star Trek Online may not upgrade at all as opposed to not immediately, which is uh, something I'm preparing for. You know, I'm trying to do little things here and there to prepare myself for that eventuality that maybe possibly the game won't be supported on the PlayStation five, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Okay. One thing I wanted to go over real quick, um, moving on from star Trek online, even though uh, I do want to discuss it more at some point, but not, uh, we can deal with it later. I mean, use wonder wonderland. I'm having trouble with it, but maybe that's just a personal problem. And since you're doing the live Twitch, uh, live stream on Twitch. Maybe folks can tune in and uh, figure it out themselves there and then. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm pretty sure I sent you a link to or loaned you a copy of William Shatner's new album, Shatner Claws. Have you had a chance to listen to it? No, I, I did not listen to it. I am so sorry. I've been uh, focused at work and on other things, such as getting my Christmas tree up, which still has yet to happen. You know, I've got like I said, uh, we discussed this earlier. I have everyone and their dog all of a sudden wanting me to do things immediately this weekend. And so I've been a little overwhelmed as of late. And half of them are not even showing up to do the events that they said they were going to do. But, you know, aside from that, I do apologize. I've been trying to do my homework. I've been trying to do work and other things and, and still make time for the family and stuff and hang out with them. So I, I apologize. I will try to listen to it on my way to work on Monday. That way I can honestly say I've, I've listened to some of it, if not all of it. So. Oh, that's okay. But don't apologize to me. You apologize to William Shatner. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got a hold of him through Twitter and he gave me permission to go ahead and play it on the air. So. Nice, nice. Um, we're going to do a review of that at some point between now and the end of the month for sure on here. Play oh. snippets from the different tracks and say oh, what we think of them after we've already listened to the whole thing. Yeah. I have another homework assignment for you, Kevin. Uh-huh. Which is I have here that um, on my calendar of events. In two weeks, get back together to discuss the Star Wars Holiday Special and the Star Wars Christmas Album, Christmas in the Stars. Okay. And so your homework assignment is to watch that program and listen to that album. If you, I can uh, share a copy of that with you. The the, the, um, the holiday film is available at YouTube. 
And the Christmas album, I have a copy of that I can share with you. Yeah, if you want to send me a link to the best possible link that you can send to me for the holiday special, I'll try to take a look at it. And I just want to mention that I had talked with uh, Doug uh, Drexler and approached him again about being back on the show on the 22nd to talk about the Star Trek uh, Ships Align calendar, which he produced this year, as he does most every year. Uh, so we could have something for New Year's, talking about calendars and New Year's and all. But I was reminded that I have been invited to uh, a prayer commitment to the Klingon fan club um, Christmas party that day. And Kevin, you're invited too if you want to go. Um, depends on what my schedule's like. Usually Chris, uh, New Year's Eve, I spend it with mom. No, no, I'm talking the 22nd. Oh, the 22nd of December. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I think I can do that. Okay, and so I've rescheduled with uh, Doug Drexler for the 29th. Okay. And then I have down for the twenty for for the 5th of January, getting back to two weeks after that. I'm not sure. I'm going to try to get a hold of... Well, here's a fun story, ladies and gentlemen. On Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, ten years ago when I did my first actual binge watch for the whole series, every episode back-to-back, no commercials, I noticed there was a particular background player that kept showing up in episode after episode, a large, dark-skinned Bajoran guy. And I said, well, who is that? What's the story with that guy? Because he's there, like, in almost every episode, it seemed. So I went to Memory Alpha, the official Star Trek wiki, to try to find information, and there was nothing there. They had information about Morn, of course, who's in almost every episode as a player, as well as the Bolian woman, who was a background player, but nothing on the Bajoran guy. Finally, about five years ago, uh, there was a listing at Memory Alpha, and it was just a one entry that he, uh, an unnamed Bajoran member of the Paw Wraith cult in the episode Covenant. And I'm like, but this guy's in almost every episode. But they did get the name of the actor, Michael Wajax. And so I started my own personal quest to find out who this guy was, and what his story was and everything. And last week, for my birthday, he got a hold of me and said, I, I understand you're looking for me, so I'm going to try to, we should be able to have Michael Wedgex on the show, hopefully January 5th. I'm going to get a hold of him and set the date for that. So that's something to look forward to. Beyond that, I'm not sure about the new year yet, anything in January, but I know people that I want to interview are just a question of getting them lined up and date's definite set. Okay, having said all that, and thank you for putting up with it, I am now going to uh, start turning this into an interview program. And like I say, this is going to be episode 17 about uh, discussing the history of Star Trek toys. John Chinudo is something of an expert in these matters. He was featured on the Netflix series The Toys That Made Us, talking about Star Trek and Star Wars toys both. So let me try to get hold of him and try to bring him in and uh, start the interview with him. Hello. Hello, John. Hey. Hi, welcome. I'm Steve, and with me is Kevin. Hi. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Steve. Okay, so, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Omega Directive. I am, again, your host, Steve Atwell, along with co-host Kevin, a.k.a. Dr. Guy um, K.S., and uh, we're going to be discussing, chatting today with John Tenuto 
John is uh, something of an expert in the history of Star Trek toys and um, merchandise and collectibles. And he was featured in the network Netflix series, sorry to say that five times fast, The Toys That Made Us. And he was also a guest recently, or earlier this year, on uh, Mission Log, uh, one of the best Star Trek um, podcasts out there. And I thought it would be great to have him on here at Christmas, uh, well, holidays time, to discuss uh, holiday Christmas toys. So, John, welcome, and thanks for doing this. Uh, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, so let's let's talk a bit about your history and bona fides. I'm guessing that you're about my age and grew up in the 70s watching Star Trek, syndicated reruns, and uh, been a lifelong Star Trek fan. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, I started uh, enjoying Star Trek in uh, reruns uh, like a lot of uh, fans did. I was alive when it was on first run, but uh, a little too young to watch it. I was just... Uh, about uh, four months old when Star Trek was canceled, so I, I I like to at least be able to say I was alive a little bit when it was on for a few episodes anyway, uh, and uh, and then but I really rediscovered it or, or discovered it for my, for for myself during the 1970s and and uh, watching the reruns and really became um, dedicated to it uh, with the release of Wrath of Khan. Ah, yeah, Wrath of Khan was great. I was uh, I grew up with it. I actually remember watching the animated series in its original run first before discovering the reruns, uh, you know, the syndicated. And um, have always been a fan ever since. Of course, Star Wars was huge for a while, but Star Trek has always been a part of my uh, uh, passions. Yeah, it's really funny. The uh, the toys are were, were my gateway. My my mother. Um... You know, I liked science fiction. I, I had liked Planet of the Apes, uh, uh, especially uh, before Star Wars, uh, and Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman. And my mother had seen a uh, the Mego Star Trek Enterprise playset, and figures were on sale at something that people from Chicago might remember uh, called the Montgomery Ward's Bargain Basement, which was uh, downtown. Uh, at least going into downtown on Chicago Avenue, it was sort of a warehouse where they would sell off um, slightly damaged or older merchandise. And my mom would go there and buy the toys for us. And uh, I got that for Christmas. And that really sparked my interest in uh, Star Trek and watching the reruns of Star Trek uh, during the 70s. So you're from Chicago then? Yeah, I was born and raised uh, in Chicago. Uh, I Both my wife and I were. And we... Uh, we, my dad lived in the same neighborhood for uh, her, his whole life, 83 years, my mom almost uh, as long, and uh, I grew up in, th- in that same neighborhood, uh, stood there until I was about 27, until I moved uh, out and, and start my own life, uh, got married and uh, moved out, uh, but I'm still only about an hour away from Chicago, so uh, still very much a part of my life. Oh, well, gosh, for some reason I was thinking you another uh, transplanted Angelino. I could have just said, hey, it's Central Time. <laughs> it's tough getting, no, you know. dealing with guests who are on both coasts and around whatever, trying to do the math of, okay, this is when Central Time, I want to do the interview, but you're where now? Let me try to do addition and subtraction real quick. <clears throat> this is one of Kansas City's uh, Star Trek podcasts, so we're in the same time zone. Great. Okay, so 
I, as a kid, and Kevin was born in the early 80s, so this is an education for him. <laughs> um, and, um, I do remember having the, or playing with all the Star Trek dolls, and we didn't think of, you know, there's something wrong with saying dolls. Boys played with dolls. Girls played with dolls. It was Star Trek dolls. It was G.I. Joe dolls. It was all the superhero dolls, you know. And we had the Star Trek dolls, and we had the the Enterprise bridge set, play set, and the little box that Captain Kirk would sit in with the little view screen, which I never understood why that was not actually part of the bridge set itself, but uh, it was its own separate thing. And uh, I remember we also had, or neighbors who had, the little phasers with the little flashlight inside and the little disc you put in to give the silhouette of the Enterprise or the Klingon battleship. And we had neighbors who had the uh, walkie-talkies, communicators. So, uh, John, what can you tell us about the history of all this stuff? Well, it's interesting. The very first uh, Star Trek collect the, the toys, uh, not so much collectibles, but although they, the toys have become collectibles, uh, but um, the very first ones actually date back to uh, around the television show itself. A lot of people think of the Mego line, uh, which starts in 1975. Um, for most people, a few places hit a little bit later on across the country. But uh, most people think of that as sort of the, the, the first line because it was such a memorable line and had, as you were describing, some really great um, items in there. Uh, and uh, of course, it was uh, concomitant with the with the animated show, so it, there was a lot of sort of the animated show's vibe and color scheme in, in those toys. But actually, uh, you can go all the way back um, to 1967 to find uh, Star Trek toys. There was a company called Remco, which uh, uh, which stood for remote control. They used to have this um, slogan, which was "Every boy wants a Remco toy, and so do girls." And uh, they had uh, a Lost in Space license. They had a Star Trek license. And, but what the company was sort of known for was doing label slapping, which was they would take already existing toys and then they would sort of put a Lost in Space label or a Star Trek label um, on it and really didn't do much else except some stickers to, to sort of Star Trekize it. So they had, uh, in 1967, they had an astrocopter and an astro cruiser and an astro tank. They would put the word astro in front of a regular tank, and somehow it became a Star Trek tank. Uh, and, in fact, they had a toy line in 1964 called Hamilton Invaders, which was kind of about this alien creature named Horrible Hamilton who came down to Earth, and the military had to try to stop him. And they took a lot of those toys and sort of rebranded them uh, and made the same exact toy, but called it a, a Star Trek toy. And it had, you know, Captain Kirk's picture or the Enterprise picture on the box. But other than the stickers, there wasn't much else to it. Um, they went bankrupt in uh, the early 70s, and they were bought out by a company called uh, Azrak Hamway, which was famous for uh, doing rack toys, the toys that you see at the grocery store hanging on the rack. They're kind of impulse purchases or kids sort of bug their mom and dad for them when they're grocery shopping and they got the Remco license and they started to manufacture Star Trek items because they still had Star Trek licenses and it was really from them that we got the first action figures uh, in 1974 they did these parachuting Kirk and Spock action figures that kind of predate 
you know, the scene and uh, the scene that was edited from Generations and the scene that's in Star Trek 2009 where you get a parachuting character. But uh, you have Kirk and Spock and they have parachutes on them and you throw them up and the parachutes open up. And, you know, again, it was a very they had Spider-Man versions of that and Batman versions of that and that sort of thing. But uh, those are really the first Star Trek toys and action figures. Yeah, I remember the Spider-Man and the Batman, but I don't remember the Star Trek. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, so when did you become interested? Uh, I mean, I can understand wanting to collect everything and um, mm-hmm. uh, keep it around for as long as you can, but when did you get interested in finding out the history of this stuff? Well, you know, I've been uh, – th- there's sort of two uh, things that my wife and I like to study about Star Trek. We're both sociology professors, and – um, you know, very interested in kind of collective behavior, obviously. And but I've, I, our biggest area of, of interest in terms of studying Star Trek is to really look behind the scenes at the contributions of people like Nicholas Meyer and and Joe Jennings and Harv Bennett and you know Jerry Taylor and just all the all the writers and Michael Pillar especially. Um, and uh, we've been really fortunate to be able to to study some of their archives and their records and photographs and things like that we have um gotten access to 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 be our permission to share a lot of nicholas meyer's resources from wrath of khan and star trek four and six and we really admire the the work of these artists who who you know we see their names roll uh, in the credits of the of the movies but we maybe we don't necessarily as a fan or especially a casual fan uh, casual audience member don't necessarily uh, think much about you know what what did that person do on the film uh, or for that TV show and so we're, we're really uh, dedicated to trying to get the word out there uh, to fellow fans about how how much Star Trek Star Trek's greatness depended on the people whose faces we never saw in addition to the actors and actresses um, and so that's a big area that we really we, we really love studying and sharing that information uh, the other side of it is uh is the toys because to us they're they're kind of like wedding rings you know uh they're 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 a tangible piece of of star trek when we're little kids there are way for us to create our own version of star trek and write our own episodes and write our own movies by by having our action figures do what we want them to do uh, and we get to be gene roddenberry uh for a little while when we play with the toys but even later on in life uh both for their nostalgic factor uh, but also appreciating the artistry and the and the and the sort of ingenuity of the toy designers, that's been a big part of of what we like to do is sort of see how did these toys come about, what what could have been, uh, and then also you get a little bit of a window into the making of of Star Trek movies and TV shows through the toys. There there are several episodes of the show that use toys uh, as props, or you know when Janeway is looking at. Um, at the little enterprise in a bottle when they're talking about Joe Carey and his interest in model making after he dies in the episode, um, they, that's a hallmark ornament, you know, and when, uh, you know, the, the, the phaser blows up in the enterprise episode when they're sort of trapped on the Romulan ship, uh, in the, in the two-parter that they did, uh, that was a, that was a toy phaser that you could buy at the store. And, so by by getting a little sort of sneak peek at the or at the behind the scenes of the toys you also get to understand the making of the episodes too. Yeah, I remember as a kid again um the we were hungry for more Star Trek. We had the original series and the animated series and then we had the toys and there were the models at AT, AM, ATM AMT. I I get my uh 
uh, letters confused. Yeah, AMT AM is right. It was Aluminum Model Toys was the company. Yeah, AMT. Yeah, my older brother, Rich, was a model maker. I tried and was all thumbs and didn't I, – I created interesting works of art that weren't really what they were supposed to look like. <laughs> but, um, Kevin, are you there? Yes, I'm still here. I'm just listening to everything right now. We haven't reached my uh, level of interest for the toys or actually my developmental period. Um, I grew up with the, the the toys from the 90s. I think they came out during Season 5 of The Next Generation. Uh, that being said, uh, the Romulan uh, phaser or disruptor pistol I don't think I had, but I, I do remember seeing that in the in the uh, not only in the show but on the shelves as well at the time, and I didn't know that the toy was used as a prop weapon. I thought they just built all the props themselves or already had pre-built them and, you know, would release them to the show. So that was kind of interesting to learn. So, yeah, the, I like I said, I grew up with the toys from the 90s. Um, I have looked into the history of some of their toys, and so some of what you were saying about them slapping new labels onto pre-existing toys I do remember reading about. So that that, that was interesting to learn. Yeah, the toy line in the 90s was an amazing uh, line. That was a Playmates Toys. And they had yes. the license. They had the license from 1992 uh, until 2000, and then again they had a license for a brief time uh, after to the 2009 film. And they, there, there really is no other company. While Mego, I think, is kind of loved for its the nostalgia factor. I mean, you can see that it's they're back in Target stores, you know, and you can get Mego Star Trek toys all over again right now. But um, the Playmates line was absolutely staggering in its uh, breadth and depth. They released uh, 367 four-inch figures, uh, 31 six-inch figures, 89 nine-inch figures, uh, 31 12-inch figures. They had play sets. They had ships. They had role-playing toys. And the great thing about Playmates, I mean, there were many great things about them, but the great things about Playmates is they really never released the same figure um, in the same costume twice, uh, uh, in the same size uh, line. So, you know, yes, there were a lot of Kirks, but it was always Kirk in a different outfit. Or, yes, there were, you know, a ton of wharfs, but each wharf was different. And that's not true of a lot of other toy lines, even super popular ones, which I love, like Star Wars. You know, you do get Luke released and re-released, you know, numerous times, dozens of times in the same exact outfit. And, yes, the figure is tweaked or improved or something, but they really gave you a variety of, uh, of great figures uh, with the Playmates line. And then, you know, I, what I love about it, I love the line from uh, Generations because that came out, the planning of that was uh, before the film was, was in theaters, obviously, and, and significantly before they even started filming. And so the costumes that you see on the Generations Playmates figures were the costumes that were originally planned for the film, but that they scrapped at the very last minute to use the DS9 uh, Star Trek costumes. There was going to be another uh, sort of a militarized version of the uh, TNG television uniforms. And you can see those on the on the figures, and you get Kirk in his parachuting uh, outfit, even though that scene was exercised from the film before it was released. So uh, the Playmates line, you know, gr another great window into the TV, to the to the movie and TV shows, but uh, just a fabulous line on its own. It's really my favorite line. Right. 
Right. I remember being confused when I got those figures. Like, where did these costumes come from? Because I don't remember those costumes in the movie. And then later reading, you know, the th- the reason why they went another route is because they were introducing far too many new elements as one of the producers or some of the producers said. I don't remember which ones it was. They were they felt like they were introducing too many new elements into the movie and people were going to be overwhelmed if they introduced a new costume in as well. Um, it kind of makes me wonder if they had kept the costumes in there, would those be the same costumes that they would have ended up using in Star Trek First Contact and from there on out? Or would they have scrapped that and still made the First Contact uniform? So that was interesting to learn. Uh, another thing I remember, speaking of First Contact, was the Enterprise E was changed in production uh, from one look to another because I had the enterprise E from uh, playmates toys as well. And the, the sovereign class, the nacelles were changed in production uh, during some, at some point, I don't know where uh, the nacelles were originally supposed to, I, I don't know how to describe it. They were supposed to look more, I guess for lack of a better term, like a smooth crystal, uh, on the Bussard collectors that would connect with the warp grill, uh, the blue part, for those who aren't technical, like Steve and I might be, the, the, the warp grill and the warp portion. And I remember looking at the Enterprise E going, the nacelles don't look anything like they do in the movie. So it's not something that they did. That wasn't the first time they did it, but still it was kind of interesting to discover that. Yeah, it's great because the lead the, the lead time on toys, especially back then, even even today, of course, uh, we're still, you know, waiting for uh, for uh, Star Trek Discovery figures and things like that. They're, they do need a long lead time to do the toys right, and uh, and sometimes you do get the 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 joy of of seeing what could have beens or, or what ifs through the toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go back a bit to the '70s um, when I grew up and talk about some of the other collectibles that were out there because, like I said, we had the original series and the animated series, but then we also had the wonderful gold key comic books that were, um, yeah, their own thing. And there were the um, series of, of paperback novels from, I believe it was Bantam Books. But yes, it was uh, Bantam. And there was the Peter Pan Records uh, audio adventures that they did. And I remember that stuff. Um, I haven't really researched the full history of how any of that came about. And I've been listening to a podcast called 70s Trek, as well as, you know, um, some of the others, and discovering new and more stuff that I was completely unaware of as a kid, such as something called the Star Treculator, which was a, a calculator of some sort. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. Yeah, the Treculator was part of the Mego line. Uh, they released... Um, in addition to, I think most people, partially because of Big Bang Theory, maybe, or um, uh, just because it was such a fond uh, toy, everybody kind of remembers the Enterprise Bridge playset and the, the Transporter playset and all that. But they released a whole bunch of different um, uh, toys through Mego. There was um, there was the Mission to Gamma place, the Mission to Gamma Six playset, which was a really great eighteen-inch uh, playset based on uh, the Apple and. Uh, uh, and a Gamma Triangula 6. Um, they had uh, a, the Treculator, which was basically a Star Trek version of a, uh, a trekked-out calculator. They had the, the tele, 
uh, telescreen console that you spoke about earlier, which was a pretty sophisticated uh, toy at the time, uh, where you would have Kirk and he would sit in a sit in the uh, captain's chair and he's looking at a telescreen and and you could play a game, which was, you know, this is 1976 when the telescreen comes out. That's pretty amazing the level of technology they had there, and they they had the tricorder uh, toy and things like that. So that was uh, the, uh, part of that Mego. Um, innovation and kind of creativity of the toy makers at that time. People like um, uh, uh, John McNett, and, uh, uh, who was the designer of uh, many of the toys, and the designer of the transporter mechanism toy uh, for Mego, uh, and uh, Harold Schull, who designed some of the, the figures and the art for the, the Mego toys and all that. Those guys really did a great job in the 70s with, those, with that line. Yeah. And uh, speaking of all the, uh, what do you call it, slapping uh, on of stuff, mm. slapping and rebranding, the uh, yeah they they avoided a lot of that at Mego, which was great. <laughs> the um um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sublime, let's say sublimely wonderful, um Spock helmet. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, that was a Remco um, toy, uh, the Astro helmet uh, that came out, um, and uh, that's such a great. I mean, that's just a that that's taken on a whole life of its own now. Uh, with uh, there's people at conventions wearing uh, wearing them or wearing duplicates of them, and uh, that's really a great that's a great item. Of course, makes no sense. Uh, you know, they 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 look a little bit like the helmets of the guys from Patterns of Force, but. Uh, that's about it. Yeah, I remember as kids sitting there saying, it had to show up in one of these episodes. I'm just not sure which one, but I'm sure it was there. Oh, man. I'm kind of wishing that I had figured out how to put up a camera on this thing. Because I know that um, when you were on the Mission Log Show, you were showing off bits and pieces of your collection there at home. But then again, maybe I'd just be getting jealous uh, to be seeing that stuff. <laughs> So, yeah, let's talk some more about Mego lost, uh, I'm not sure, when did they lose the license or did they lose the license? Uh, they were, well, they were offered, you know, sort of the famous story goes uh, that they were uh, offered the license uh, for Star Wars, uh, that um, the they were, you know, the Star Wars people, Star Wars Corporation at that time, I think it was called, uh, was interested in uh, Amigo because they had had such a great success with uh, superhero toy lines and Planet of the Apes uh, and uh, and Star Trek. And Amigo wasn't sort of wasn't interested or, you know, there's different stories about whether how, how interested they were or they weren't interested. And they really kind of threw uh, their themselves into Star Trek and um, what happens in 1979, of course, is Star Trek, the motion picture, gets merchandise more heavily than any Star Trek film ever, uh, with maybe the exception of Star Trek 2009. But I would say that even Star Trek, the motion picture, was more heavily uh, merchandised. And so, unfortunately, the motion picture, while financially, uh, you know, a tremendous success, did not necessarily capture the imagination of little kids, and it didn't quite sell the toys. And so Mego had sort of redesigned their line, they, they, they weren't doing the sort of Planet of the Apes-sized, you know, uh, seven-inch uh, type, six-inch, seven-inch type of figures anymore. Uh, they had moved to the Star Wars-sized line for the motion picture, and it uh, the toy line just didn't go anywhere. 
Uh, they had some 12-inch figures and things like that. And, and that, with, coupled with some other financial troubles, uh, eventually led to um, Mego going out of business. So, you know, Star Trek, the, the, the merchandising, particularly with the films, has always had it almost, it, it, you can almost think of it as a sort of starting off on a, on, the, on a bad foot, although I love the Mego Star Trek, the motion picture toys, but in terms of like the success of the line, you have Star Trek, the motion picture come out, the toys are not very well received, the film is either well received or not, depending on your point of view. It was financially successful, as we all know, but not necessarily seen as sort of a franchise restarter, which is why you get the restart again of the franchise with Wrath of Khan, but there's really no toys per se for Wrath of Khan. Very little merchandising, which is ironic because the film was so incredibly successful. It opens as the it opened on opening weekend as the largest film in the history of cinema. It, it beat out Empire Strikes Back, uh, making fourteen million dollars in that weekend. But then Star Trek Three comes out, and that's got toys, but it's not as successful. Uh, it's successful, but not as successful, and it's. The toys don't sell well. Then you get Star Trek Four. Star Trek Four is wildly successful, no toys. And so you get this sort of like pattern where the films are kind of off on where you're getting toys from them in terms of the popularity of the films. And that that kind of continues. And so through the whole sort of series, particularly the first uh, ten films. And uh and that's sort of what what why you don't see a a really big major toy company hitting on a Star Trek movie toy line until Playmates starts to make some of those uh, with the next-gen era uh, toy license that they have. I remember thinking the motion picture figures, I didn't think they looked quite as, I don't know, I thought they were ugly in comparison. I mean, as this, going back to a 9-year-old or tw- uh, a 10-year-old or whatever, 11-year-old, whatever, I, I was not impressed by them at the time. Of course, now I look back and really wish that I had picked them all up, but that's another story. So, yeah, Playmates got the license going into the 90s, and they did such marvelous, marvelous figures throughout with the next gen and everything. And then eventually Galoob took over, and when was that, and what was that about? Well, there was uh, the the license uh, sort of history, uh, right after uh, Mego uh, does their uh, their thing, you do get Ertl. Uh, gets a license, and they do some figures for, like, Star Trek Three, for example. Uh, Galoob gets the license for a very brief time uh, between 1987, 1988, until Playmates. So they're right before uh, Playmates. They do the figures, if you want to call them figures. They didn't really move. They were more like statues, but they did the figures for Star Trek Five, which were, included uh, Klaus, Cybok, uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And that was the extent of that line. And then they also did 10 uh, 3.75-inch uh, TNG figures. Uh, they were supposed to do sort of another wave. They did the first wave. They did a second wave of Aliens. And they were going to do another wave with like a Wesley Crusher and a, a Romulan and things like that. And that never that never panned out. Galoob kind of uh, faded from um, the, the Star Trek toy license. And then Playmates came in and, and took over in 92. Okay. I was thinking they had somehow come after Playmates, but I was backwards, which happens a lot with me. Um, well, I think they may have, uh, they may have done some of the uh, some of the little ships, uh, the 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 smaller type of ships, um, uh, uh, you know, at the same time as Playmates. So they they were sort of 
still in the game uh, at that time. Yeah, I think they did the Micro Machines possibly because they own the Micro Machines, and I owned some of the Micro Machines themselves. So I, I yeah, think that's yeah. that's who did the Micro Machines. Yeah, and that was throughout sort of the same era as uh, as Playmates. Yeah, yeah. I saw the glue figures uh, one time. I forgot where. I was in a toy shop, uh, maybe even a vintage toy shop, I want to say. And one of them was sitting there, and I'm like, I don't remember that. And then, you know, looking at it and looking at the uniform, I'm like, oh, that must be seasons one or two. And and that was the uh, – it was a Captain Picard figure. I, I didn't buy it at the time because I was like – if it's not Playmates, it's not worth picking up. And in, in, you know, in my kid mind, I remember the action figures—not uh, just the action figures, but I was going to say the micro machines themselves. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, but anyway, no, they did. Yeah, you know, the Galoops are the Galoops are fun. The, you know, the sta- the 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 Star Trek Five statue slash action figures. They're really nice uh, when you when you take them out of the packaging was beautiful, and when you take them out of the packaging. Uh, they each I have a stand in a background, uh, which is, uh, um, you know, uh, Nimbus three. And it really looks nice. I mean, when you put the figures up and put them next to one another, it makes a nice display. And, the pro- you know, the, the, the thing that I think Galoob is famous for with the TNG figures that you were talking about was just sort of the mistakes uh, within the line. So you had sort of, um, you know, there was data released with uh, different, you know, sort of mistake paint jobs. There was a uh, human painted data. There was the regular data. There was sort of a bluish speckled looking uh, combination of data. And that, that's sort of what they became where people started to collect them to get those, uh, that variation, those figures. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And so I guess it was, um, Playmates that did the uh, uh, Andorian uh, retro figure that I picked up back the about twenty years ago or whatever. I'm yeah, not, yeah. I thought it was great that we did have you know the different figures from the different holodeck episodes and you know different costuming because like yeah with Star Wars you had Luke basic you had Luke in the uh, X-wing fighter figure pilot figure and then you had the um, Luke in Hoth gear, and then Luke on uh, Dagobah gear, and then Luke on uh, Endor gear, and Luke in black, and that was about it. Yeah, Star Wars, of course. You know, you get to be to be fair to the to the greatness that is Star Wars. You know, they obviously they only have six hour six hours uh, of costume uh, ability. You know, uh, changes to, to 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 draw from with a toy line if you're doing it on the original trilogy, whereas with Star Trek. Uh, you know, you're getting 79 episodes of the original or, you know, 178 or 79, depending on how you want to count it, for uh, next gen and a lot of different costume changes and things like that. So what Star Wars did, of course, was, uh, you know, the the variation was to do every sort of alien and, and you know, uh, side character within the, within the movie so that they could have, maintain a variation within the license and then playmates did a nice balance. They gave you the variety of the main characters, but they also did, I mean, you know, you got figures like the swarm alien and, you know, you got mutated Tom Paris and you got the swarm alien and they took risks with the line, you know, and did uh Tosk and characters that were only in one episode, but were play, they had a playability factor to them 
um, what, uh, you know, uh, what uh, Loomis over at Kenner, Kenner used to call toyetic. Um, they were, they, they had a toy quality to them. And so uh, Playmates was great at, at that balance. Okay, so let's go way back, John. Back in the 70s, what were the uh, action figures, the toys, the uh, merchandise, whatever that you were most looking forward to at uh, Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever holiday time? Oh, well, you know, I uh, when my mother bought me the... Um, the Enterprise. I was uh, I was very very excited. Uh, you know, it came uh, the one that I got. There was sort of a special version uh, that was released where some of the figures came with it. So that's what I got. So I I was always waiting to get the uh, Alien uh, figures. They had um, in 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 1974, uh, which was the first year that you got figures. Really, from I guess some people had to wait till '75, but mo- for some for some of us it was 1974. So you had Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, which was spelled wrong on the package. Um, Kling- the Klingon and Uhura; those were the f- sort of first group. Then there was a '75 line where you got the Neptunian, uh, the the character Sharon, uh, the Keeper, uh, uh, Balak, Cormite Maneuver. Uh, figure you got the Gorn, you know, the figures either inspired by or directly from episodes. Um, really, the seventy-five, seventy-six line has my two favorite figures that I was really looking forward to as a kid, which was the Romulan. Uh, they had a, a Romulan, a Telosian, and an Andorian, and a Magatu. And I, the Magatu, of course, was clothed and looked kind of like he had just come from a disco. But uh, the Romulan and the Andorian were so they're 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 still great today. I mean, they are really incredibly faithful uh, figures you could take when you take the helmet off of the Romulan he looks exactly like Mark Leonard I mean they did a fantastic job with the technology uh, and the sculpting technology at that time so uh, as a kid I was really uh, very very much into the figures um, and into the books and comics I mean I was a big fan of and I've always seen those as collectibles and you know some people might debate that but to me uh, the, the books were part of the collectibles, and and uh, uh, and I consider my 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 library to be a collection of books, just like uh, action figures. So uh, I loved reading the. You know, you know, thinking back in the '70s, particularly when I was, you know, young in the early part of the '70s, you the the home experience of Star Trek was limited to reruns, and you were sort of dependent on whatever network or or local television network you were watching was going to show it so we didn't have obviously vhs and and you didn't have there was no such thing as it was science fiction to think of on demand and streaming and all of that so the toys and the books and the comics and the 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 um peter pan records and all of that 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 helped uh fill in the gap in between anything new that was being released whether it was the animated show or eventually the films and those became very important uh, to keeping Star Trek alive uh, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of other uh, fellow fans. I remember all this stuff. Um, of course, the Gorn figure, what was it? They just reused the um, body from the Planet of the Apes, or was it completely a reuse of the lizard from the uh, uh, Marvel line? Yeah, it was both. It was uh, It was the Klingon outfit. Uh, which was really the Planet of the Apes outfit anyway. And it was uh, the Planet of the Apes body, and it was the uh, lizard from the Marvel line, uh, all just uh, smashed together with painted brown, uh, which, you know, doesn't look anything like the Gorn. So, uh, you know, they they took some some licenses. I mean, the Keeper, 
uh, figure, you know, doesn't, uh, you know, you would think the keeper would refer to the Telosian, but really it was a little bit more like uh, 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 Blaylock, uh, but doesn't really quite look like Blaylock either. And uh, so they, they took a little, the Neptunian is a totally new creation, uh, maybe a little bit from uh, the animated show, but even that's a stretch. Uh, so there was, you know, there were some that were really faithful, like uh, Ballet uh, or Beale, depending on how you want to say it, and uh, and the Romulan and Andorian, and other ones where you just sort of, they, they were having fun. And, you know, back then, I think, you know, I, I remember reading Superman comics, and in one issue, he did something, and the next issue, they contradicted that. We We weren't as consumed with continuity and with everything making sense. It was a little bit more about having fun uh, back then, and that's certainly what the Mego line represents. As a kid, I, again, you know, would think, well, surely it must have popped up somewhere, or hoping that at some point we would see something with the Neptunian in it. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately. Uh, but I remember I was reading about, um, because I'm a fan of... Klingons and Andorians, and I was reading mm-hmm. about the Andorian figure and that it was an extremely rare and hard to find for some reason, limited run, I guess. And it said that it was about as rare and hard to find as the Teen Titans figures they put out. And I want to go on record of saying I had the Teen Titans figures. I had <laughs> all of those. And I'm amazed to think that the Star Trek Andorian would have been, that those were rarities. I didn't realize they were rarities because I had them. Yeah, they, you know, they, there was, you know, the, the, the thing with toy lines, the, the nice thing about toy lines in the past was they would sit on the shelf uh, for a long time. I mean, you, you didn't have to necessarily rush out and get a Star Wars figure because uh, it wasn't like it is today. They're so, the, the turnover of the toys are, are so, so quick um, in retail, at least. Uh, so if you go to a, a a brick and mortar store and you see something you can come back two days later it's gone they're not getting it again and that that wasn't how it was back then if you if you were a kid you could you would see a commercial for something in in june and you'd ask for it for christmas and you'd be your parents would be able to go to the store and they would get it there wasn't as society moved much slower i mean the you know uh, mad magazine would not do a parody of a film until six months after it was out and now they have to do it almost at the same time it's out or or it's all old news. Uh, so it was un- it was unusual to have sort of limited toys or toys that weren't as available. And so that's what what the reality was of, of that what's called the seventy five seventy six line of Star Trek alien figures, which was the Romulan, Telosian, and Dorian and Mugatu. They just were not released in the same amount, um, and they didn't stay uh, on the shelves very long and, uh, were not restocked. And that led to a, a rarity where, uh, you know, something people have to be careful of today when they buy Mego is that they're buying the originals because of course there's both the reproductions that were done by MC toys, uh, back in the early two thousands, which are great. Uh, and then you of course have, uh, uh, Mego itself is back as a, as a real company and they're manufacturing new, uh, Star Trek figures and reissuing some of their old figures, um, in addition to shows like Cheers and, and Happy Days and things, again, they're bringing all that kind of back. Um, but you have to be careful you're buying the original if, if that's what you're actually, if that's what you actually want. Did you just say that there are Cheers toys? Oh, yeah. Um, the Mego, uh, I don't know how much of that has to do with uh, 
I, I don't know if it's because of the, the toys that made us the Netflix show or if that helped to kick that into gear, if it was all planned before then, I, I don't know. Um, but uh, Mego is back in a, in, a, in a really nice big way at uh, Target stores. Uh, you can only, I think they're only exclusive at Target, but they have um, released really nice Mirror Universe uh, figures. They're in the style of the original Migos. They, you, you can put them next to your original Migos, and you would think that they were from that time period. Um, and they're in beautiful boxes, the Mirror Universe ones. They've released Kirk and Spock and Sulu and Uhura as two-packs. Um, they have also released like Sulu and uh, I think Chekhov and figures that they didn't make originally uh, in the original line, like like Chekhov. And then they're but they're also doing other properties. So they've got Charmed and the superhero lines are back, and they they have a Cliff and a um, uh, Norm figure from Cheers, and they've got uh, they're bringing back you know Fonzie and Richie from Happy Days and uh, uh, ba- you know, Brady Bunch figures and all of that, uh, all through, Amigo, uh, all done by, uh, Marty Abrams. So he's, you know, he's back and he's making toys again, which is great. I, I, I never would have expected it to be Cheers toys. Happy days in the others I could see, but Cheers, maybe not so much. Not to knock it, not to say anything, but just to say to me, it's a surprise that that would be marketable. Okay. So what was I going to ask about? Oh, uh, the scarcity toys. I, Vaguely remember hearing that there was some figure or another that had a limited run of 1,701 uh, figures. Uh, what was that? What can you tell us about that one? Yeah, that's that's in a way that's the beginning of the end of the uh, Playmates uh, story, unfortunately. Um, uh, because uh, retailers started to want exclusives. In other words, you know, retail store shelf space obviously is is always a premium. And uh, in order to get people to go to store A rather than store B, store A wants you to give them an exclusive figure or toy or line of toys. And so Playmates had to kind of play that game uh, to keep Star Trek figures in stores, uh, which at at one time were selling, you know, they were selling 100, 120,000 or more of certain figures. I mean, they were very, it was a very, very successful uh, toy line. It appealed to kids, it appealed to adults and so uh, in order to make uh, sort of exclusives and in that sort of era of exclusives, uh, they came up with the idea of releasing three figures as what were known as the 1701 line. So there was going to be Picard in his tapestries outfit. Uh, there was going to be a Barkley figure, and there was, and there was a uh, Tasha Yar figure. And they were limited to only 1701. Well, the, the problem with that, and I think, a lot of people, if they're interested in toys, know know what I'm talking about with this feeling. I I have it. Um, I it it's it's a vexation on my soul when I cannot complete a line. Um, it's it's very rough to have eleven of, of of twelve items and not to have that eleventh. And so, a lot of the 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 people purchasing the Star Trek Playmates toys were getting every toy uh, and every action figure and wanted a complete collection. And when you start telling 100,000 collectors that there's only 1,701 of a figure, a lot of them say, well, look, if I can't have them all, I'm not going to bother collecting anymore. And that, and in a way, that's part of what happened. There were other factors, of course. But that's part of what happened with why the Playmates line eventually um, dissipated. And uh, and uh, it was, uh, you know, lost us in 2000. So um, they did do 1,701 of the Picard's. Uh, the price on those are starting to come down a little bit, but you'll see them at auction, 
you know, $500, $600. They used to go for several thousands of dollars. I've seen them as high as $10,000 at some points in history. They realized that mistake, and uh, what they did is they beefed up the numbers of the other 1701, so they weren't ever they weren't 1701. And then they also released the three figures in a in a in a three pack that uh, had a much larger uh, run, so you could get the figure, but it was not in the 1701 packaging. But by then, it was kind of too late. They they had lost uh, some of the the fan base and some of the customer base. Uh, with that move, and it was, uh, it you know, uh, again, there's other factors that are going on. Retail was beginning to see the, 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 you know, the the strain. Toys themselves were beginning to go out of favor, and you know, as electronic devices became more uh, the 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 toy of choice. I mean, there were a lot of factors, but um, uh, that was certainly part of it. And you know, I, it's always cute when companies do 1701. Sometimes they price a toy at 1701. But I'd rather pay fifteen dollars for it rather than have a cute price, you know. And uh, they like that seventeen oh one, and sometimes that seventeen oh one concept uh, doesn't work. And that was an example of it. Uh, at least they didn't go forty seven. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been horrible. <laughs> uh, I know what you mean as a completist and wanting to collect everyone. I did a pretty good job of getting all of these Star Wars Power of the Force figures that came out in the late nineties. I sold them all in the early two thousands. I wish we could go on all day with this. Yeah. Uh, real quick, John, do you have any information about the history of Star Trek uh, video games? Uh, well, yeah, you know, Star Trek video games. Uh, Star Trek's great uh, with technology. I mean, the the when you when, especially when you look at even like home media, Star Trek is because of because Star Trek is Star Trek, and it doesn't need any explanation. It is, you know, in our real world, an inspiration for genuine technologies, but. Uh, because of Star Trek's sort of technological and futuristic bent, the, a lot of companies tend to want to use Star Trek as their um, testing or proving ground for something. So, you know, the first VHS tape available for home purchase pr- at a home purchase price was Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. You know, and they, that was sort of an experiment: would people want to buy? videotapes and keep them and, and build a home library of films and they wanted to sell 60,000 of them and they sold 120,000 and that ushered in the whole home video era and that was Star Trek you know Star Trek was used for um uh you know early video games uh you know some of the early video you know, the early video games that we saw that were sort of vector games uh were were from uh you know from Sega and things like that were from were Star Trek. And so Star Trek and, and video games kind of go together. And a lot of times when a new thing like VR comes out, it'll be, you know, Bridge Commander. They're going to try to, you know, they, they, they use Star Trek as the window to that because of the uh, connection between those two. And, uh, and there's even sometimes a connection between the video games and the toys when, when there was a, a Deep Space Nine game called uh, uh, Crossroads of Time. Uh, you could get a, a limited edition uh, uh, Cisco figure uh, from Playmates that was limited to 4,000. And so uh, there's always been a nice connection, you know, between video games and toys and things like that. Yeah. Kevin, you collected uh, Next Gen. Did you also collect Deep Space Nine or Voyager figures? Yes, I did. I, uh, my collection started petering off when uh, Voyager came out. I didn't get the Starship Voyager, but I did get the uh, EMH program, you know, the one played by Robert Ricardo. Uh, I don't remember if I got any of the other figures or not. Um, but, yeah, that's that's when my collection uh, came, you know, 
to a head, as it were. Uh, I did have some of the Deep Space Nine figures. I had uh, Julian Bashir. I was big into medical professionals at the time of of Star Trek um, because I wanted to be a doctor. I remember watching Crusher and going, wow, this seems so pretty easy, and not realizing that, oh, hey, the reason it's easy for her Aside from all the studying she's done, she's got better technology than what we've got. And I'm like, oh, yeah. But anyway, back to the Star Trek uh, toy point, I did have Bashir, Crusher, and uh, Voyager's EMH program. I, I didn't get the Starship Voyager. I did get the Defiant, though, when it came out. I think I may have also had Deep Space Nine itself. And my brother picked up a couple. He had... Uh, uh, the Klingon Vorcha and the Romulan Warbird. I don't know why he did that, but he did do it because he wasn't into Star Trek himself. I and my dad were into Star Trek a lot. So um, I think I picked up a figure at one of the last conventions that they here, had here in Kansas City specifically dedicated to Star Trek, which was at the Will Wheaton convention, which would have been around the time that Two Space Nine came out. I also had the transporter from the next generation, uh, the engineering from generations, and the bridge from Star Trek The Next Generation. So I had quite a large collection going as a kid and, and stuff like that. Uh, I even had a few of the micro-machines. My favorite micro-machine I had for the longest time was the one from Generations, where the saucer hole would detach and retach uh, towards the Enterprise D, with the Enterprise D. So, John, are there any um, figures or whatever collectibles out there that you're aware of that you don't have yet in your collection but would really, really, really want to get a hold of? Oh, yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah. I mean, I I, uh, many, there's no, there, I don't know anybody has a full, there, a, a complete collection. I don't know that that's reasonable or possible. But I, you know, I, I uh, sort of for me, uh, 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 a, an item that I would love to have, I, uh, uh, I'd love to see, uh, is the 2001 Palisades. Um, the, it was a figure that was only produced in a prototype stage, uh, which was Kirk and, uh, and Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry together. And uh, that was a, a, a really special figure. The box, uh, you know, is fantastic. The imagery on the box is great. Um, the, uh, you know, you have Kirk in his chair and behind him, standing behind him with his hand on him is Gene Roddenberry. I, I got a chance to, uh, was really honored to get to put my voice to, um, Roddenberry has a virtual museum where you can kind of go in and, and, and look through the Roddenberry archives. And so I talk about that figure, uh, in their, in their VR, uh, pr uh library or museum and, um, uh, I would, you know, I've seen, I've seen pictures of it, you know, that sort of thing, but I've never certainly to own it would be incredible, but, uh, that, that would, uh, you know, have a, <laughs> I have a son to put through college and, uh, a wife to take care of. So, um, but, uh, that's, that would be something that I would love because to me, that's, that's that what if kind of toy and, and really that no one has ever made a Gene Roddenberry figure, um, is amazing to me because, uh, you know, there has been George Lucas, uh, nods obviously in the star Wars lines. There's, you know, there was a, uh, a, a, a Jorge Sekel or a figure, whatever the name was, uh, that they made, which was him. And there was, a another figure of him made. And, and so there has been figures that sort of nodded directly to him. 
that were officially licensed figures, and I, I would love to see that because I think he deserves that. Yeah, and I know um, one of the companies had done a Stan Lee action figure. I can't remember. I think it might have been whoever was doing the Marvel line um, back in the um, 90s and early 2000s had a Stan Lee figure. What about the future? I know I was very disappointed to see very few uh, toys collectibles relating to the Abrams films, let alone uh, Discovery. I know that Eagle Moss now has the license to do the uh, Starship uh, uh, figurines, Starship recreations, Mm -hmm. which they look beautiful, but, I mean, for the price, the old Micro Machines or the AEMT models would be the way I would rather have gone. But uh, do you know anything about the future of Star Trek figures, John? Well, they're, they're, the license for the figures right now uh, primarily resides with uh, two companies. Uh, one is one that has had it for a long time and has produced an incredible line themselves, uh, which is uh, Art Asylum, used to be Art Asylum, is, uh, Diamond Select Toys. And they, yeah. still have, they still have their license. And those, they have produced incredible 7-inch figures that are both uh, toys but also almost like little statues but have articulation and phenomenal, phenomenally good likenesses. Uh, and they've, they've taken risks. I mean, we, they've given us a Nursagawa figure and, you know, uh, uh, a Captain Terrell figure and things like that. And they, they have figures that are coming out um, next year. They have a, a Borg figure. Uh, that's coming out, and there's also going to be a Kirk and Spock from the Kelvin uh, universe in the uh, 2009 movie outfits, I believe. I'd love to see some from beyond because those costumes were, I thought, incredible. So, um, But they're, they're still making figures. And then, of course, McFarlane Toys has uh, a license, and they just released a, a very excellent uh, Kirk and Picard uh, figures. Um, uh, and uh, we are supposed to be getting... Uh, relatively soon, I don't know what the timeline is on that, but we're supposed to be getting some figures from uh, Discovery, which I would think that um, him and his uh, his excellent sculpt, sculpting technology and sculpting artists uh, at McFarland should do a great job uh, with some of those designs. Um, you know, what I miss, of course, and what I wish we had, which we don't, and maybe it's not even possible anymore in today's sort of digital, um, you know, world is uh, I'd love to see a, a Playmates uh, type of line again where we get, um, you know, 15 figures released at the same time uh, and then, um, you know, you wait six months and a year and you get another 15 figures and you can really build uh, an amazing collection that way. Right now it's, it's very slow. Um, you know, you might get uh, one or two figures a year. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's a, it's a painfully slow process. It's certainly not good necessarily for bringing young kids into it through toys. Like I think happened to a lot of people where they come into a, uh, a franchise through the toys, but the reality is kids don't, don't play as much with toys uh, as they used to. So, you know, that it may be, it may be more advantageous for there to be, you know, Star Trek online, uh, than, than to have toy lines, I suppose, for kids today. Yeah, I know uh, a lot of what has come out in the last few years is not really priced at, uh, you know, something you can give to the kid, which you can destroy, then you can replace a few months down the line. Yeah, I mean, QMX has, I, I, I you know, I don't ever think of those necessarily as action figures because they are really beautiful, uh, uh, but they're $100 and, and, you know, $130 or more. 
uh, amazing sculpts, you know, these sort of 12-inch, sort of 12-inch line uh, that they have going, and they're beautiful. I mean, their con is outstanding uh, in the detail that they have. And uh, but that's rough, of course. You can't. That's 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 certainly more of a display model. I don't. I don't know that anybody would give that to a kid to play with, and or, or they'd have to be very careful with it. I would imagine. Of course, um, when we were younger, um, we'd get all the stormtrooper figures, and at Fourth of July, we'd have a rebel attack, and all the storm figures would go up into explosions and flames, and then you just go to the store and replace them. <laughs> but. Yeah, it was easier to do then, that's for sure. Three, $3.49 wasn't too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we could go on for a while, but I am we're all supposed to be getting hold of and doing another interview here. I should maybe set these two in a, a half an hour, an hour between um, discussions. John, I hope you had fun. We don't really have time to go and do the trivia quiz, um, but um, if you come back again sometime, we can do it then. Uh, that'd be great. Um, I, thank you for inviting me. Go ahead, Kevin. I'm, I'm sorry. I wanted to ask a quick question while I've got you on the line here. Is there Are there any tips that you could direct us to when it comes to maintaining the boxes where the figures come in from a collector's perspective? I know some of mine have started falling apart. If, if there's even a website or some keywords we could search, that would be awesome before we go. I, I, meant, I meant to ask this of you earlier, but, you know, we got off on the other tangents and stuff. Yeah, you know, I think in terms of uh, looking at them more as collectibles rather than than toys, uh, part of the problem, of course, we all face is that uh, while this is a little different with modern toys, uh, these toys were never meant to last. So uh, my my favorite example is when I showed my son, uh, our, I showed our son uh, the the um, the Dianaga and the uh, the um, Death Star playsets. Uh, trash compactor the styrofoam in there when i touched it disappeared in my hand uh gone literally gone and so you couldn't even you couldn't even you know you looked at it and it was it was gone and you know you you'll see like uh, buck rogers uh, 1979 1980 action figures and the faces are are all um you know a different color because they were never meant to last 30 and 40 years or 50 years so that is a that is a big problem, particularly with early earlier toys. Uh, one of you know certainly one thing if people are really interested in keeping their collectibles as in as pristine condition as possible is obviously keep them out of light. Uh, even um, you know natural light is bad. It's going to fade boxes. It's going to fade figures. Uh, but so is uh, is the kind of light most people have within their home. So if it's at all possible to keep your collection in darkness unless you're looking at it, uh, that's a really good uh, tip and strategy. Um, also, uh, not handling it as much as possible. So it's an investment of money, um, but they do sell like clamshells for action figures that are in packages. Um, they do sell clamshells for action figures that are in or toys and play sets that are in boxes, and that that can get expensive. I mean, they, that that might run you five dollars a figure to protect it compared to the figure which might have been three dollars at the store. But um, this way, you're not touching it, and if you can avoid touching it, uh, opening it. Uh, another thing I always tell people too is if you if you have something that you really love, uh, you know, uh, and you can't get two of it uh, or it's too expensive. Uh, but you like to have it out, and you like to look at it, and you have you like to display it. But you want to keep it as a collectible. 
sometimes those things are incompatible. So, it, you know, you have to accept that the more you touch something, uh, like, for example, I have a Welcome Back Cotter collection, and I have a Welcome Back Cotter classroom, and, you know, it was designed for kids to play with and for it to break and for it to be put away. Well, now it's it's 45 years, 43 years later, and I still have it. Um, but, you know, I don't touch it anymore. And so if what, what I would recommend to people do is, is photograph it and photograph it from every angle and every possibility so that you could look at the pictures and show people the pictures of what you have um, rather than necessarily taking it out unless you have to. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and I uh, recently picked up, it's an Art Asylum um, core Klingon warrior action figure, and it's absolutely gorgeous. But to me, um, I give up. I mean, it's a collectible, but to me, it's 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 meant to be touched and handled. And next year, when uh, take your action figure to work day rolls around, that's the one I'm going to have with me. <laughs> yeah, I'm a believer. I'm a big believer in uh, opening. I, the only time I don't open uh, something is if there is a uh, a not necessarily a monetary value, but a value to it being in a package, i.e. it's a foreign, I have some of the Star Trek 2009 foreign um, Playmates figures, which are really great because they are slightly different. They didn't have um, the same sort of um, uh, bridge pieces in there, and the figures are in a little different way, and the sculpts are kind of different, and there's a charm to having it in a package that has both French and English on it if it's from Canada. Um, you know, things like that. So, so something like that, I try to save the packaging because sometimes the art on the packaging is incredible and, and beautiful. But um, I do believe in opening it. I do believe they're toys and that, you know, the reality is you don't know what's going to become a collectible and what, you know, it, people thought Beanie Babies were going to be, a, a, you know, an incredible investment. And some of them still are, but most of them are not. And you know, things that are mass-produced rarely, if ever, become collectibles, and it takes decades and decades and decades for that to happen. And um, I think you and I are, especially anybody from the 70s, born in the 70s and 80s, we're, we, were born, we were into the world where, you know, don't, don't open it, it's going to be a collectible. Well, everybody had that attitude where, you know, the reason that uh, baseball cards from the 1930s and 40s are, in, you know, priced at an incredible uh, amount and you can sell yours at a credible amount is because people used to throw them on their their bikes and they you know and and to make sounds with their wheels and you and you you threw them around and you played games with the baseball cards and they're all damaged and ripped and torn and uh, so to have a pristine card that is rare that's true of comics today and everything so I always say enjoy it uh, take it out of the packaging enjoy it and uh, you know uh, preserve it the best you can, but really they're meant, they are meant to be enjoyed and played with, I think. Okay. That's good to know. Thank you so much for that information. I appreciate it because I've been stressing over a couple of my figures, uh, you know, the packaging coming undone and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I was just like, do I need to re-glue this? And does that demonetize it and stuff like that? So it's interesting to hear that. Well, I would say, um, really, you have to look at it as a question of why do I own this and what do I hope to get out of it. I mean, is it something that you are going to want to continue to enjoy in whatever fashion on your own for the next however many years until you pass away? Or is it something that you say, well, I just got it so that in 20 years I can resell it? Or is it something you say, I want my kids, my nieces, my nephews, my grandkids to have fun with it as well at some point and take care of it accordingly? 
And, you know, there are a lot of, I mean, there are, like with any antiques, you know, I mean, really Star Wars toys are very close to getting antique status um, because of the number of years. I mean, we're, 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 you know, we just passed the 40-year threshold and we're coming closer and closer to a 50-year threshold on that. A Star Trek is already well past the 50-year uh, threshold uh, with that. So uh, some of these toys are antiques, and like any antiques, there are, there are you know, if people kind of are in that situation where you have like a box and you're looking at it and you're getting a little nervous, you can bring it to particularly local, you need to bring it to like a local mom and pop sort of toy shop and ask. Some of them uh, do actually do toy restorations. So they they can take, you know, um, you know, some of the action figures in the past, they would have like a, like a rubber rubber bands inside of them. And so those rubber bands have snapped or broken over time, they can repair that. Or if you have a Mego figure where that uh, screw that keeps the leg in um, is really lost its ability to hold the leg and the leg is sort of swinging, a lot of us have that where you have like a swinging leg, um, they can fix it. Um, so you, you can bring it, you can check with like local, local uh, comic book stores and toy shops and see uh, if they do that restoration and then just make sure that, that they do a good job. Um, and that you can get them restored. And it's like any other... Uh, antiques. So any anytime there's a restoration, it can affect value, but it, restoring it might give you more value than not restoring it. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay, John, um, thanks for so much for participating. I'm going to say again, this is Legium, the Omega Director. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I'm Steve Atwell, along with my co-host, uh, Kevin, uh, a.k.a. Dr. Guy K.S. I want to give thanks to our guest, John Tenuto, um, for a discussion about the history of Star Trek toys and other collectibles. John, is there anywhere on the web that people might want to contact you that you'd be willing to have them get a hold of you? Uh, sure. They could check me out on Facebook. Uh, just uh, type in John Tenuto, and you, you'll uh, see a, a, an icon of uh, a fan set pin, uh, Captain Kirk. That's me. Um, or uh, that's probably the best way. Uh, or, you know, they can reach me through the college if they want to chat by email. Um, I'm at the College of Lake County in Grays Lake, Illinois, and they can get me there. Okay. And, Kevin, go ahead and uh, toss out all of your um, uh, info again. Yeah. Um, I can be found over most social media platforms with at uh, D-R-G-U-I-K-S. Uh, my general uh, non-gaming uh, Twitter is uh, citizen of G-L-F-R-Y. But most social media platforms and gaming platforms is uh, D-R-G-U-Y-K-S. And that's where you guys can find me. Okay. And I am Steve Atwell. And the Omega Directive is available on Facebook as has its own page. I'm available on Twitter as at Atwell underscore Steve. Uh, this program is, of course, available on podcast.com as well as iTunes. So if you like what you've heard, Please go to iTunes, um, leave a positive review, like us, follow us, subscribe. Like I say, if you have questions, concerns, or complaints, get a hold of me uh, directly, and I'll pass them along to Kevin if they're regarding him, <clears throat> which I, I'm sure nobody will complain. Um, otherwise, um, I do want to give again thanks to Adam Mullen, who does the theme song for the program, and who helped me figure out how to put a podcast together. But for now, uh, John, thanks so much for doing this. Hopefully, maybe we'll have you on again at some point. Thank you. Live long and prosper, everyone. Okay. And uh, sign off and take care and don't take any wooden quatlos. Bye-bye. <laughs> Goodbye.
Ah, traveler, welcome to the promenade. Humble Quark at your service. Behold, Star Trek Deep Space Nine action figures. Commander Benjamin Sisko, he helps me run the station. And Security Chief Odo, very strict and sneaky for someone so honest. Here's Lieutenant Dax, and Chief O'Brien, and Major Kira Nerese. I happen to know she's crazy about me. Wonderful, aren't they? Especially this one. So handsome. Pains me to part with it, but if you pay me now... Ah, security. What a pleasant surprise.